So I got to I got to uh, Montreal, and there was uh, there was an eight lane bowling alley, which the devotees had uh, rented as the temple. It was on the third story of a building. Underneath us, there was some kind of a factory that was making threads or some kind of a textile thing. So all night long, with the at least till midnight, <coughs> these machines would be running. You could try to go to sleep. <laughs> and what they did is in the bowling alley, you know how there's the lanes for the balls to come back? They filled that up with some linoleum and uh, with some wood and covered it with a little white linoleum. So you see a very smooth, you know, hardwood lane, then a, a white strip of linoleum covered uh, thing between the lanes. So there was these gutters for the ball. It was, it was smooth, but it looked kind of funny. Anyway, and then they, maybe five of the lanes was, uh, there was a wooden partition, which was the temple room, and three of the lanes was the ashram. Somehow the ladies and the men, everyone had to live in the ashram, and there was uh, partitions for who lived in the wood. It was like internal partitions that were made. It was all done, you know, discreetly. But there's only one bathroom, of course. I can't remember how we adjusted all that, but uh, somehow it was adjusted. <clears throat> so there I arrived, and uh, it was the evening Tommy uh, Prabhupada was coming. I sat in the temple, and Srila Prabhupada came, gave the Bhagavad Gita class. There I was like a new devotee sitting down, shining head, shaved up this thing in the front of my class. And somebody told me that whenever Prabhupada gives uh, you know, plans, you should try to ask a question. That was a good advice. But you should try, try to be something that is relevant, which is for the, helpful to all the people there, which not only just for yourself, but something that makes sense to everybody. So I don't remember if the first night I actually had the guts to ask the question. I was overwhelmed. Just was an awesome. Prabhupada was just. If I had just come. I was practicing yoga before. I was living in Marin County, north of San Francisco, and had my own like a house we rented. I was trying to meditate there. I was practicing all kinds of yogas and speculation and Buddhism. And then. I tried so many, about four or five different paths. And was already a vegetarian. <coughs> I really felt that I needed a guru. So that was when I came to the Krishna Conscious Movement. Because without a spiritual master, it's, uh, you don't really sure whether you're doing the right thing sometimes. And, uh, when I tried looking for gurus, and the ones I found were so, they were not like very good. But that's another. When I finally saw Prabhupada, I'd actually at that time I was able to see auras. And uh, so you'd see if somebody's angry, they'd have a red aura, they were green, different colors. And when I saw Prabhupada, it was like his aura was white, yellow, brilliant, and it just came up. It feel like it, you could feel like it was covering the whole room. I remember I asked Prabhupada, I said, what about something about the aura? I said, well, Prabhupada, I said, 
Oh, I asked Robert about that. He told me, don't worry, we'll get over it. It's just some psychic level. You get up to the spiritual level, so. <laughs> but before that disappeared, I was seeing things in that thing. Very, very. And then Prabhupada, he just saw me and he said, uh, Who is this? And so happened Gargamuni was there from uh, San Francisco. So this is back to Jay. So then he said, Okay, well, you bring him for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> So the first day that I was, uh, the second day I was in the I was uh, sitting in front of Prabhupada and having lunch. Those days I was really skinny, young guy. And um, they fed me so much prasad <laughs> that they, uh, they practically busted me. I mean, I thought I, I never, the Gargamuni also, I was always kind of hefty, big guy. Not like he is now, but he was also. He was already eating for Sad for over a year or two, so it'll take some time to get terrified. All I remember was uh, now I know what it is, it was rice with curry sauce. I didn't know what this yellow nectar was putting on the rice and the pakoras. We had so many the Prabhupada asked me what I wanted to he did after that he talked to me got to know me a little bit. The person took the time to talk to me. I told him I was seeking for a guru and I came to him. And uh, but also I had this idea that I should go to India. And he told me that, well, I'll send you to India later. First he said, I'll send you to India later. But, uh, but for now, I'll personally train you here in Canada. You can stay here. So he was very merciful to me. He, uh, he asked at that time Govinda Dasi and her, her husband, I guess, uh, was uh, personally serving Srila Prabhupada. And so Prabhupada had me be there like assistant. So then I would, uh, there was nothing to assist, they were so expert. I mean, the only thing I would do is that they would. Uh, asked me to, they call it guru sitting, like babysitting. They would, well, they would go out in the middle of the day to do some shopping for Prabhupada, and I would uh, be asked to sit outside the door while he was taking rest, in case he wanted something. Usually he didn't, because I just had to change up. He never, sometimes he rang the bell, then I had to go in and see Sri Prabhupada. Different things happened. One time he found a cockroach in his room that was disturbing. <laughs> he picked up the cockroach, opened the window, told the cockroach, I'm giving you the whole world to enjoy. I'll enjoy it. <laughs> one time he asked me, uh, me and one other devotee dye his clothes. In those days, Prabhupada used to, like the Gaudiya Mutt used to use, now they're all probably used to use, you know, chemical dye now. It used to be that we used this rock dye. So to, to make, you have to sit and rub two rocks together in the bathtub until it reached a certain density of uh, color. I don't know. We were rubbing, I thought I was like rubbing the whole, my whole life, and it was hours after. <laughs> 
Swami Prabhupada came in three, four times to Maranath, Maranath. Because it really had to be thick for to die from. I don't know what was the percentage, but we never reached it. And finally we got it and then we died the quad. Meanwhile, Prabhupada had gone downstairs for some reason in the basement. It was flat. And uh, <clears throat> he came up and the servant said, wow, there was some foul happening. When Prabhupada was downstairs, there was a big rat that jumped out Prabhupada. And, uh, you know, it's startling if he was walking and some gigantic rat jumps out. And so, he just kind of like startled and then he was a little bit, and he said, Hare Just immediately took shelter around him. When you get startled, what do you say? Hit your foot or something. You say, What do you say when you hit your foot or your toe? Sometimes you can't repeat those things. It was a nice lesson for me that living, being with Prabhupada, seeing how. You know, on a daily basis. He was funny, he was, he was very personal. Anyway, he asked me once to get a rose for him. He said he's just smelling a rose for him. Yeah. I happen to be somewhat allergic to roses myself.
But in this case, they were living there. This was all their pioneer stuff. So he just really got heavy on my case. But then I, I just said, well, look, at, I had to do disobedience. You know, so I feel bad about it. I'm sure you all experienced that sometimes. <laughs> I was a bank robber and disobeying my immediate authority. So then I went out with his ears or I was so upset. Why why is he like getting on this heavy case on me for nothing? Just getting a roast and I go back and do all my service. And I was like, maybe he was envious of like Robert. I don't know, you know, so many things going through your mind. Then I, I just walking, walking in, in Montreal and then like the road ended. It was like a T-junction. I, 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 I realized I'd just been walking, you know, and traveling, you know, like, whatever you want to call that, emotion. And then I saw, like, across the street, there was this uh, florist shop. I was just learning French, so I don't know what it had to, Those days, you could have both English and French, now it's just French. I was just learning French. So anyway, I went to the shop and then, uh, I said, what am I waiting for you? Here's your rose. Wow, Larry. I was like, wow. <laughs> Somehow super soldiers left the right shop. Of course, I guess everything was. But anyway, this happened to me. It was like, for me, a big thing. You know, the first time that we were asked to do something, there was so many like, obstacles here, like climbing in the layers. <laughs> I went over and gave the rose to the bow down, gave the rose to the crowd he smelled it. He didn't like that. Then I went back and did my service in the temple. Then we were informed there was an Ishtar ghost team. They said, well, this is the problem, you see. That we don't, Prabhupada, you know, is here in America and Canada. And <coughs> Living in the flat, and we had to pay two hundred dollars for the flat. Those days were cheap. Two hundred dollars was a lot of money in those days too. So, so we don't have any money, and if we don't pay the rent by, by you know, the little profit, we're losing the state. So everybody had in those days. There was no books, no restaurants, no light windows, no congregations. Just a few devotees and. Uh, there were, there were extra devotees visiting this problem that was there. They must have been about 10 15. And um, well, Paduna was there, Mahapurusha, two names of them. Apart from They said, so everybody has to go out and get a job. And somehow you get money anyway you can. I mean, any legal way you get a job. And then to help to contribute for the problem. So what to do here? You know, I, I was a college student. I left my studies. Now I was saying the Hare Krishna woman. I was 19 and a year of college. And I've been out doing some business and things. But when I joined, left college for Hare Krishna, I was supposed to, I just left anyway. And uh, <clears throat> so we all went out, and we were like, so we had to wear a clothes to get a job. So 
So we went to the some welfare shop for Salvation Army or and bought some clothes. But these clothes were really weird. <laughs> they weren't designer clothes or anything. They were just like, so they looked really funny. <laughs> Somehow we were all in out and I remember the first day Ms. Mahaprush was asked to prepare the lunch for us. She asked him, what did you prepare for lunch? And then he said, well, we were going on the way, we were walking, he said, what do you got for lunch? And he said, I made Murphy.
I was making, I was working on this fact. Some jobs they had that weren't temporary, but I don't remember if they're temporary or not anymore. Somehow, I think that they were willing to hire me permanently. It was just one place, and it was a bed factory. It used to, and my job was the, the ring on the bed. Like there was a, there was a kind of a steel frame. Little, just a little wire, just like a quarter inch steel thing, and I had to hold that on a welding machine with those big glasses. Put my foot down, <coughs> it would, with black gloves on it, it would weld the two halves of the frame together. Then I had to pass them over to a group of ladies that would take two of those frames and string springs in between them. And uh, there were a lot of young girls there, so they were always making passes at me. And I was like a young old brahmachari, so I wouldn't talk to anybody. And they'd go say, hey, me, what's wrong with this guy? He's weird. And, uh, he, they'd throw springs at me. And <laughs> I would just, you know, really know it. Just for a couple of months, I don't really know. People preached just so many things. I said, all right, what does he do? 
because it was really crisis. There was really no money in the temple, and the wages were so low anyway. You got to work. I worked the whole week and made fifty dollars for taking. Now everybody it was like needed a dollars just for the rent. But then that was he wanted to hear what I had to do because I was doing something sinful and wouldn't let me do it. And he said, "Well, he has to clean up after the people eat." So well, and he went through the six levels of sin in the mano. You sell the cow, you transport the cow, you slaughter the cow, you butcher the sell the meat, you cook the meat and eat it. So there's six. So clean up doesn't fit. It's already after the fact. <laughs> so I, I was still there, condemned. <laughs> But I was I was so happy. I mean, uh, it, it, how many guys a lousy job doing a lousy thing, cleaning up in the restaurant? But I was so happy because I was in Krishna consciousness. I was hearing call. I was serving Prabhupada directly. I was I come in and turn over my paycheck. Those days didn't give me cash anymore. And uh, I listened every day. I remember one day I was listening. And I was doing these questions every day. So I asked, I would always ask the question. So then I was working the night shift and the afternoon shift, so then I wasn't there for the class. So then the other problem about the class but I was the questions, and nobody asked any questions. And then the uh, problem said, where's Jay? Where's back to Jay? So he's working problem. He has the next question. Robert rarely says a praise to your face, but then I heard it on the tape. I really want to thank that to lawyer. The guy told me to ask questions. Then some other so I was one day cleaning up in this AMW, and then the. <clears throat> this real some rich guy pulls up in a Mercedes van, it's got the Rolex watch, the tie, and I don't know how much suits cost. And then uh, I'm there in a chant Hare Krishna to myself with this funny you know, little hats and what's his name? Of and I you know, sweep the mop in the floor. And I'm really happy. And like, can't, you can see I'm having a smile on him. This guy comes in with this big, you know, Rolex watch, the big expensive thing. And he looks at me and says, you are the lowest on earth. <laughs> <laughs> Why the hell are you happy? <laughs> 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 I got the, you know, Mercedes-Benz car, I got my Rolex watch, everything. <laughs> big job. I'm miserable. Why? I, I, I missed work, I called in sick, 
Mustafa Jamaz, the Lakhna wrote, you the AW for eight Jamaz. And the wasp fired me, he said, you know, I'm a believer in Because I'd already asked for a That was a blessing in disguise. Then some guy told me he would teach me how to be a printer. He wouldn't pay me for the first two weeks. And then after that, he would pay me good salary as a printer. She actually taught me how to print, how to run an offset machine, a printing machine. Then the guy screwed me. He never paid me. <laughs> I worked for what, whatever it was, one week free, then he'd pay me the next week. I worked for two weeks, next week. I asked for the paycheck, and he smiled. Because I wasn't registered, I was just there. But then I had two weeks of uh, training on how to print. And I went to another printing place and went to the printer. I told him, no, I've been printing for six months. <laughs> and being young, you know, you can learn things easy, quick. And he said, just run the machine, let me see. <laughs> I turned it on, you know, it's like, you know, put the paper in, did all, did all the stuff you're supposed to do. Somehow, somehow it, it worked, you know. Okay, got a job, $250 an hour, $275. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> 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 that was a better job. And, uh, but then after a while, the other guys could figure out that I didn't know very much. And just like, just that's about all I knew, turning the machine the you know, off and then you all kinds of stuff. But they were friendly, they helped me. And, uh, I, so that way I learned how to print. So that, you know, I, at least I had a professional. I was working with Dave and I was working with those kids. Remember, there was another somewhere in that whole time I was working with Chitsuke Nanda, who was a big preacher. And, uh, America went to Mexico. We still there. a lot of people opened up Mexico right in Central America. We were working in a record shop. We mail order record purchasing. We'd hide out in the fire escape in Channel Java to keep the campus seen. They come on, where do you go? Let's go to the back. I'd be out in the fire escape. Then all oh, the prophet left. All oh, well, the well, then the prophet left Montreal. Things got normalized in terms of just normal like temple services. We started distributing books, things like that. We did a lot of prasad distribution. More to students. I remember I was running out distributing books, and those those were the first back to audience came. There was this. One back to guy with like a skull in the desert with some cactus. I don't know if you've seen the old, really oldish in the 68 so. I went to McGill University and I'd be calling up this magazine, back to Godhead, back to Godhead. People look and see the skull. God. Godhead? We didn't have you know, all the techniques of how to do it, so just kind of simple. And then uh, Prabhupada would write to me regularly. One time I stepped on a, my, I stepped on a, a nail. 
Someone in the ashram, there was a wood with a meal. Prophet wrote me a letter. I heard you stepped on a meal. You've given your body to Krishna, you have to take care of it. And he told me to take care of my health. And it was so personal. There was only maybe a hundred devotees in the womb at that time. And so he was like personally taking care of all those people. My experience with Prabhupada was very loving and caring and very personal. Then Hansaduda, he was, those were the days who let there be temples. Everybody was in the mood that, you know. In fact, Prabhupada, Hansaduda's wife told me, if you want to preach, you got to get married. You can't preach unless you're a grihasta, because in those days the concept was husband and wife, they go out together go to a new city, set up a preaching center, and then they would each work as a team and they would preach. So how are you going to do that if you don't have a wife? So you got to get married. So I just like six months, and not even six, three months in the movement, just 19 years old. It wasn't exactly, you know, I, I had girlfriends and everything before, but I was just trying to uh, get into, now I was into the you know, brahmachari mode and trying to figure out what Krishna consciousness she told Krishna we got to get married, so I went to Prabhupada and asked that the president's wife had told me I got to get married, I can't go back to Godhead unless I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> really heavy preaching. Most, there was like waves that were through those days, everybody had to be married. And then uh, Prabhupada told me, well, you wait till you're 25, and then in consultation with the guru will decide. Between 25 and 30. That time you should decide to be marriage, usually. And um, said so no later than 35. Then it's to get married, you're too old, get all the babies and everything. That's it's like not so easy, not so flexible to do So I went back and told you know the president's wife, you know, had a rain check on 25. <laughs> Then uh, Guruda, Shyamasunda, Malati, Makunda, Janaki, and uh, Jamuna, they arrived in uh, Montreal. They were going to go to London to open up the London Yatra. Of course, at that time, we didn't know they were going to meet the Beatles and they were going to do all those things. But uh, they are going to the blessings. So I met them. It was nice to meet these devotees. You know, it was like a, wow, it's like far out. In those days, people going off, fly off to a new country, open up a new temple, open up a whole new preaching area. It was very exciting. It was like the whole, the whole mood was very dynamic. So I was thinking, you know, this is what Prabhupada said, you have to manage yourself out of a job. You should be a manager for a while and then train up someone else to do your job, move on, open up a new temple. That was the way the preaching was going in those days. So then Hansa Duda, after they left, Prabhupada left, 
you were there, there were 20 devotees in the temple. And Hatsadula called me and said, I'm going to go and open up a new temple in Vancouver, Seattle. And I'm taking 15 devotees. And you're the new president. And I just been initiated before Prabhupada left two weeks before. I was given the name Jaya Pataka. That time I met, but just around that time, uh, Rukmini, and that time it was Bharadraj, they came to the vault of Buffalo. They got initiated. Different people were there in those days. They stayed for some time with us. And, I wrote to Prabhupada, I said, I'm only 19 years old, how can I be the temple president? And the Prabhupada wrote me back and said, do not be body conscious! You are not this body! It's not a question of age. You have to carry out the order of the Guru, I'm ordering you to do this service. <laughs> okay, discussion over. <laughs> And then being the temple president, everybody in the temple was practically older than me except for the bhakta. <laughs> it wasn't easy to go up and ask somebody, you know, to wash their dishes and look at me and like, who are you the ordinary? So I had to learn communication skills. I wasn't very expert, but I just like stuck and said, I found that it works more effective to ask people, would you like to wash the dishes? <laughs> and tell them, wash the dishes. How would you like to watch it? They said, no, I wouldn't accept it. I would talk with them and try to convince them. But it was different than ordering them and taking a position that I can't. I'm, I'm, this is my service. I have an answer to the service. I may not be qualified or whatever, but you know, somehow we all got to do this. And did you help out? Would you help out? Can you help out? How would you like to go by the shopping today? It wasn't exactly what he was thinking about there, cleaning the toilet or something. But, so I, I learned to ask people to do things rather than tell them. But they know my asking was like almost like telling them. It was like, it just always, somebody who digested that. And I had, I had the Rodi Kuduma in those days, he was, I think he left for problem when we were together. He used to stand on his head, he was a yogi or something. And he would stand on his head and read the book upside down. <laughs> it was like a real, it was an amazing environment in this ashram. Everybody was a very unique person. <laughs> he walked in, somebody standing on his head reading a book. <laughs> still have that image in my head. He taught me how to read David Meyer's script in my alphabet. Which when I went to India was very handy. So then I was, uh, so 
you know, some amazing things happened. We started and we developed. Uh, I had no way of getting any money, so then we did it. We figured out now there were a lot of Indian students coming. So we started a big Sunday feast. And we got free food on it, so we figured out, like my mother was saying, like, if we're put in that position, I think we should have a program, like a lot of young people take management positions. Take them. There's so many temples, it's only in Phoenix now, they don't have a president. Because it's really, being a president is really exciting. I mean, you actually, actually, of course you have to be a good example of Shane Rouse or the Mangalar to all those things. But it's such a, so much pressure is on you that if you can take it, it really, it's, it's really an ecstatic. Like you took a lot of pressure with your makeover of the temple. And when you have a little pressure, you tend to work up to your potential more. And if you're just kind of close to you find out what your limits are, what's, what, how much you can take, maybe, maybe you can grow with that a lot more. So we came up with a, we, got, we collected boga from the wholesale fruit market, the vegetable market. They give us, you know, maybe a little bit old uh, cabbage, old means the top leaf is a little bit brown or something, so they can't sell it to the grocery store, they sell it to advertise. They just take off the top leaf of the cabbage, it's called a gray ribbon, it's, like, it's not rotten or anything. So we get ripe fruit because it's too, it's ripe, so we want it's better, but they can't sell it because they want it. All these grocery stores want it green so they can keep it there for five days. It's too ripe, it'll go off the same next day. So we had so many kinds of fruits, and I fill up a whole like a little van, or not a little it was a Volkswagen or something. But we filled it up. Unless you could fill up a little with all, all the back seat, filled with boxes. So I remember I did this yagya. I told him in Montreal when I was there. I would get up in the morning and check my rounds, and then I'd go into the kitchen, like I did here. And we spend the whole morning from 6 o'clock till noon cooking a 26 preparation feast. Five kinds of chutney. I didn't know many preparations chutney, halva, vegetables, chapati, rice. So I cook a lot of chutney. It has all this fruit apple chutney, cherry chutney, grape chutney, I'm like cherry, raspberry, and I cook different kind, a couple of different kinds of halva blueberry halva, raspberry halva, apple halva. And she was sort of different kinds of subjects. It was such a nice feast for a $2 donation, 26 preparation feast. We pack up, and pretty soon the word got out. We had 200 people coming every Sunday for the feast. Nobody minded giving a $2 donation. All the food was donated and all that. So for those days, $400 a week was a lot of money, $1,600 a month. They run the temple budget, which was $200 rent and other expenses. I did university preaching. It was amazing in those days. I, I, I just read the Bible. Prabhupada told me before I went to Michigan, I had to read the Bible and it ten times. So I read his Bible and gave it ten times. I still got a Bible and gave it. it was one, two, three, four. Across line, you know, one of those tech tokens. I finished my ten times. I went to Loyola University and I was giving a course in Loyola University and the Bhagavad Gita and it was an accredited course and I was a college dropout but because of not 
I asked Prabhupada, should I go back to the university in those days? He said, well, I don't know, maybe I didn't ever ask him that. I asked him whether I should join the army, because my father wanted me to go and join the army. And he said, better be in Krishna's army. <laughs> so I became a soldier in Krishna's army. Yeah. We were doing Hari now on the, on the streets there in the center of the town. I got arrested, but I'd already knew that She's chief of police, so I, somehow we got contact with somebody for about eight hours later, I got let out. About five of us to take off our neck beads, our chocolate models. <clears throat> because we were like disturbing the peace. In those days we didn't fought all the fights you had to do to get permissions to chant publicly, everything was new. So some policeman just got on a trip and arrested all of us. You were causing trouble, you weren't And in the meantime, they had met the Beatles in uh, London, uh, Mukunda and everybody, and Gordas and Malati. And then it just so happened that John Lennon, he decides because Canada was against the Vietnam War, in those days Vietnam was a big issue. He, in, a, in one of the main hotels, he goes in a bed with uh, his uh, wife, and they have a bedded, hip piece of chant, bedded for love, whatever, and uh, crazy stuff. But anyway, he invite he calls the temple up and invites me to come over with a group of devotees to chant in his room. So if you get a piece of chant, if you hear in the background this chanting of Hare Krishna, we're in his room chanting Hare Krishna. For some people like celebrity status, and how many people you called in the John Lennon's room? Every day while he was there, we would chant Hare Krishna. He'd be like, his bedroom was there, and then we would be like in this room here in the suite. It's a big suite, so we'd be in the suite chanting. He'd have to keep chanting all the time. So we were getting, you know, radio, television. He was nice. He was a nice person. <coughs> Didn't really have that much time. I talked to him once or twice, but then... He was mainly uh, surrounded by all media, making his peace. But he liked the Hare Krishna. We were friends, and somehow he invited us. <clears throat> Here you are, I guess, in those days, to be 20 years old. By that time, was only 20. No, I don't even know if I was 20 yet. But all this happened like in the first year, rather than just 20. To be with John Lennon. Mm. There you are preaching Krishna consciousness. So I was, uh, anyway, you guys look like you're hungry and tired. These are the kind of things that I was doing then when I was a young person. What, maybe you got some questions. It's like a little interactive here. Anybody has any questions like to ask? I just want to ask, uh, I mean, what was it like traveling to a different country like that, you know, when you're only 20 years old or something? I mean, it seemed that, that people could do anything just because Prabhupada told them, you know, just go off on their own, like Burjah went to Hong Kong, you know, just like that, and then just start a new temple. No, I couldn't really conceive of doing that myself right now. 
I think going to Canada is kind of like a, it's not so much different, especially in those days. Montreal, although even English speaking, I was in I had to learn, a lot of people meet on the street. I, I, I learned the mantra, a contribution, a single play. Those days with one saying cents, <laughs> 25 cents. It was like simple, you know, but I didn't, I said I didn't learn too much. But I don't know, I was like, at that time I was already in a very much a searching mode. I already decided I'd go to India if I had to. So that going to, uh, to Montreal, I don't know, it didn't, didn't, didn't even have like a second thought. It was just like, see the spiritual master, maybe it was my last chance, and I leave the world. Someone said he's, he's, he's a little sickly, he'll go back to India. Someone said he'll never come back from India, so I don't know, he's right here. So I was like you know, very anxious to go meet. Finally I found a spiritual group that seemed to be really sincere doing what they, they said, and then, uh, but when Prabhupada asked me when I was, uh, he asked me, I went and opened up the, the Montreal, the Toronto temple, I did what Prabhupada said, I put Sri Patita, those days then it was like the French movement was very strong, so I thought better to put a French Canadian president and I go to Toronto. I went and opened up Toronto Temple, and uh, Shripati was my secretary of the temple, made him the president. But then I was in Toronto, and then somehow one of the devotees that was with me made about politics and said that, uh, why should you be the president? You were the president of Montreal. I want to be the president. And in those days, I didn't know, like, what the other services were like, right? As soon as I was as a initiated, I was the president. So then I told them, well, then just happened that uh, Jagadish should come up from, uh, from Buffalo. So let Jagadish be the president. I'll be the treasurer, and he'll be the secretary. We all work together. So then I was the first president, but then the second for about a month or two. In Buffalo, then uh, Jagadish became president. So then, uh, then I was bored because I was just a treasurer and I didn't know much to do. I just count the money and do something. I was like before, they could make so many decisions and there was so much pressure. And now, it was like all the pressure was off me. So I wasn't feeling uh, very much engaged up to my capacity. So I wrote to Prabhupada. I told them that the Osinja temple is going all right. Now Jagadish is the president here. What, do you want me to stay here? I'm happy to do this, this one I'm going to do, but I don't feel like fully engaged. And just before I used to be president. And what do you want me to do? Then he called me, they told us to see him in uh, LA. They wrote back to me and said, I think I'm going to send you to India. But that, that's a big change. Yeah, that's a big, it's like, oh, you go to an unknown, and I didn't know anything Indian, like, what would India be like? So I asked Prabhupada, can I get letters, like, it's all in the folio, it's there, it's like, what do you do when I see a sannyasi in the street? What are these in my body? And then all this, and I didn't know, it's like, uh, it I never met a sannyasi, it's like Prabhupada. And then he said, no, he bowed down to them, offered his prayer. 
that was the big thing. Then I went to see Prabhupada in L.A. And then I then Prabhupada said, well, Chutananda doesn't have a place for you to stay, so stay at the place and spend some time here. I was, I was in L.A. for a couple of months, which I went there again. And then uh, we were picking flowers one night. It was a flower run on Beverly Hills.
once you get your mind control, you can reduce the wrong. Take a couple of years to figure that out. So nobody is there to tell you. And, but, uh, so they all went to Calcutta and complained that Bhakti Jade screams at the top of his lungs. In the temple, the walls are shaking. And, uh, you know, we can't chant, we can't, you know, we can't think, you know, it's like, it's overwhelming. So Prabhupada called me said, why are you shouting, you know, and getting all this stuff? And I explained to him the reason why. The mind is being very distracted, thinking so many things, trying to focus on I read in the book, this is how he does talk about video, so I was doing that. And Prabhupada thought for a second, well, well, that's not bad. You're disturbing everybody else. She said, you can chant and park Mount Royale. Our temple was right next to the park Mount Royale. This is, this is, I don't know, maybe the state building's still there. See? Right in the corner, just like you look out the window and there'd be the park. There was some like rolling hills and then there's pathways that go up and then on the top of the hill there's like a Jesus and a, with a big crucifix. I don't know if there's a crucifix, but there's a big Jesus there. In those days it was like the pre-jogging era. Like 68 people didn't jog or walk. And I don't know what they did. They, didn't, they weren't doing that. So that would be, I, go, I was damned to the park. <laughs> but I'd still be screaming in the park. <laughs> At least the squirrels would hear me. <laughs> so it was very blissful. I think when you're, if you ever try it, I'm going to try it. It's very blissful to allow me chant, but that's what you're doing in the time. It's blissful. So. Somehow I got a real good taste for chanting. I like to chant. I always like to chant. But I have to admit that in 1971, 72, when I was doing the construction, Prabhupada had me work from 6 in the morning till midnight, double shift, two shifts of laborers, doing purchasing. It was really stressful and mindful. It was really like, this is, I did a lot of material energy. And I was trying to chant, in those days we didn't, we didn't have clickers. We didn't have, so trying to chant on your beads and lots of laborers and do all these things. I was falling behind. And I had accumulated a certain number of rounds that I was behind. I keep track of it. Then I went to Prabhupada and said, what am I supposed to do? And then he told me, okay, I'm, I'm bringing you up to the level. Like I'm absolving you from your backlog. But from here on, you have to, and he told me, you can even skip Mangalarti when you're doing construction. But you have to do a Guru Puja, and you have to, because he gave me certain norms. It was like, really, we were leaving. We built the whole Lotus building in like six months. We built a large building in a year. Which in Indian, you know, I mean, maybe in America that's not a big deal, but in India with all the <laughs> laborers and people lifting the thing on their head, not cream and stuff. It was very, even the one government guy came and said, like the whole Mayapur was built up. He said, how do you guys do this? Do you have magic or something? <laughs> it takes us two years just to get a permission from the government to build two years to get the plan done, two more years to actually start to work, and six years to finish it. You <laughs> built everything in three months. Okay? I was here three months and there was nothing here. So, you know, the problem had us like working. But that was only the one time I was, still I'm trying to pay back the, those 
brother is on, but I still kind of, I, I try to chair, I keep extra beads on my cooker, on my counter, and then chop them out so that I can try to accumulate extra rounds every year. So extra days, extra rounds, so I can pay back. I bet I'm doing thing I pay back right now. Wasn't that then it was it was nice to have this inner spiritual master that he could help you and guide you and, and help you to solve these different problems. Yeah. From Sweden, right? Are you from Sweden? They were devotees like Christian devotees. They were, my mother, they go to church on Sunday. They were that kind of devotee. They would, they would uh, give you Christmas gifts under the Christmas tree, tell you that Santa Claus was coming there to go to church. And, but I figured out why my dad was never going to church on Saturday on Christmas. It was like born up in a Christian environment. I was, uh, then when my parents were age 12, they divorced. And that was really weird. And then when I was 11 or 12, I wasn't old enough to emotionally deal with it. I became kind of a juvenile delinquent for a while. For a while. Then uh, they decided to put me in a boarding school because my mother couldn't handle me alone. Put into a military academy. <laughs> but actually, I did good in that. It was, uh, I, I did, it was a very good preparatory school. I had teachers that challenged my mind. And uh, I worked as an assistant to the priest, as an acolyte. And uh, it was a but then I found the priest was getting drunk on the, on the Eucharist, on the wine. <laughs> kind of lost a lot of faith in the Christian path from the experiences they had with different priests. But they weren't very, didn't follow very well. But, um, yeah, I really, I really wish I was born in a family of devotees and then trained out to chant like Krishna. The first 19 years of my life, it's like the kind of a, before I met the devotees, maybe the last year before that was searching. I was a pretty, I mean, I was uh, not, I was pretty, just a normal, whatever. And I didn't do too many bad things till I was about, apart from me a little while, but it turns out I'd not be very submissive to the parents after the divorce. So it was about from 17, 18, I was for once for a couple of years. Burnout. And then I was searching, maybe for one year. Burnout about one year, it didn't take too long. And then uh, I was searching for, for some spiritual path. That's kind of the earlier years. 
being born in 1949, it was difficult. And probably only came to the West in 66, so we didn't have the opportunity to be born there. But my, my mother, when she, when she heard I began, when I wrote to my parents, I would be really happy. Actually, the mother said I should hear more from you. I should like this. I should hear a lot more from you. He didn't tell that this morning. I just remember, you know. I should get to know you more and know what the things you're going through. The things I'd like to know what are the challenges you're facing. I know what I went through. But I went through basically 19 years of 18 years of materialistic life, one year of searching, and then Krishna consciousness from the map. Prabhupada sent me when I was 21. I became the president in London in Calcutta. Then he asked me to take sannyas, if I wanted to take sannyas. In those days I thought, wow, this is far out to be a sannyas. I didn't know what I was really getting into. I, got, I took it up and then I, being living in India has been not so difficult. But I think if I live in the West, I don't know. So then I was a there was a here twenty one year old sannyasi and right now I'm the oldest sannyasi in this country. But I was the eleventh sannyasi. I wasn't the first. About Kirtananda there was uh, maybe the eleventh or twelfth sannyasi. So the, all these people we heard they took sannyas and it was like you know a young person and they wow oh, this is far off. Wonder what it's like to take sannyas. And suddenly Prabhupada asked me, do you want to take some yes? So I jumped for it. I said, okay. <laughs> but then one by one, all the people that took before me, they all dropped off of being the Sanyasi. And I'm like the last one left of, the, of that first batch. That's a discount. I mean, there's a picture of them as a Sanyasi.
What's your experience? What, what are you going through? What, what should I know? As one of the ISKCON, you know, servitor leaders uh, trying to serve all of you, what should I know about what the youth are going through? I want to see you all be, you know, leaders also in ISKCON. I'd like to see you all be inspired and happy. Oh, my happy. The news fun cured on today. I said it was a fun cure on today, so I'm pretty happy. <laughs> Live day by day. Yeah. You're not a youth. I know. It seems like a relevant question. I was just thinking when you were talking about your childhood and how you, your parents got divorced and how that caused you some you know, difficulty and how really Prabhupada was wanted for our society and how somehow or other, you know, we haven't really come up to that standard of making a commitment even in marriage and being able to stick with it and how much that's affected so many of our of our youth, you know, being in a situation with a broken family. So I just wonder if you could say something about that, how you know, how, how the youth could deal with it and how, as devotees, how we can maybe, you know, and, and as youth, we make a commitment how serious we have to be about that because what a difference it makes to the, to, to youth when their family's broken. And if you come from broken families, you are when it happens. I hear some people when they're over 15, they mean, thinking I'm like, they're older than I'm old. I don't know, I don't know the exact details, but I talked to some kids that were older and they sent some disciples whose parents were divorcing and the children were older than like 17 or something. Even then, it's like, it's distasteful. But for me, as a younger person, when I was just like, wasn't even a teenager. Emotionally, can't figure out what's going on. It was like over, it was over my head to figure out why the parents are there. The people that you love, you're depending on, and they're separating and fighting and everything. It's very traumatic. It's very confusing. It, it, it's completely threw me for a loop. I don't know what others have experienced, but that was my experience. I mean, just looking back at it, it was hard for me to adjust. And I think it's very important that we were trying to, I mean, we're, I'm very happy that in North America they're taking an initiative to try to do things for the Grihastas. They have a Grihasta initiative. Just like Manu has a youth initiative, they go in and they started recently a Grihasta initiative. Maybe that's very positive. But there should be premarital guidance. People should know what they're getting into. When people ask me, they will tell me they want to get married. I advise them that they should really get to know the other person a little bit, I mean, as much as you can or should. And get to know what your expectations are from each other, what you expect to give. Because a lot of times, when, I, mean, I can't say that none of my disciples have ever not something that they have. 
When, you know, what, over the years, I find that what, what happens is that they had one expectation and something else happened. They didn't, they didn't expect their husbands were going to mistreat them and they mistreated them or, or mistreated her. Or they didn't ex just different things that somehow they didn't talk it over. They didn't, maybe one person wanted to have more kids and one person didn't want to have any kids for three years. Weird things, just weird things like that they should have known these things ahead of time. We should have discussed it. We should have, you know, they should not be going into a blind date. I mean, they should go to get married. They should know each other. They should have a, an idea that uh, what's going to happen. A lot of things I think people take for granted that they were getting married and it's going like this. One person wants to travel. Other person wants to stay in one place. One person likes to eat sabjis uh, boiled. Someone likes to eat some fried. <laughs> one person likes tennis, another person likes golf. I don't know, you know, it's like, that's not so much a problem with us, but different kinds of, uh, so I try to tell them to, to write down on a piece of paper what are your expectations that you expect to get from your husband or your wife, or what do you expect to give in a relationship. Try to talk it, talk it over, discuss it, try to get to, Work it out ahead of time so that you don't, it doesn't turn into a disaster later. Thank you for watching our videos. Be sure to subscribe to our channel. We publish new videos every day. And don't forget to like and share our channel.